Okay, we are in the we are in the book of Jude right now, and um, we have covered through verse seven. But in order to backtrack and just make sure that we we get the context, and so remember what Jude is doing is he is reiterating what Peter did, what Peter said in Second Peter. Peter was warning them about false prophets that were going to be coming into the church, and Jude says they are now upon us. So he's speaking in the past tense, rather than what Peter did, speaking in the future tense. And he's now describing these false prophets that have moved into the church and even into positions of leadership in the church, these these false teachers. And um, let's pick it up from verse 5. He says, Jude verse 5, Now I desire to remind you, Though you know all things once for all that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he is kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulge in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. So we talked a lot about verses 6 and 7 last time. Verse 6, showing that, that there, was, there was pride and there was lust. There was pride and there was lust uh, in these angels, because if it's speaking of the fall of the angels, we talked last time about the fall of Satan, and the scriptural reference to one-third of the angels falling with Satan. Those angels are now the demonic forces that we battle against now, those fallen angels. And, and uh, uh, so there was pride. They wanted the position of God. They tried to exalt, Satan tried to exalt himself into God's position. And he was thrust down, and Jesus made reference to that as well. That when he saw, he saw Satan fall like lightning, and then, and then uh, um, it also could speak of what happened in Genesis chapter 6, where there were these, these uh, uh, fallen angels that were, that were uh, interbreeding with, with women, and you got these Nephilim, this, this mixed race. And then in verse 7, it speaks of Sodom and Gomorrah, and I think there were like 22 references in the scriptures using Sodom and Gomorrah as an example to us of destruction that is going to come. And this is the clear part, is that God will judge sin. God will judge sin. And in Sodom and Gomorrah, they too went after strange flesh. They tried to go after angelic flesh. And, and uh, there was this homosexual rape that was occurring that they tried to, to enact in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God uses that as a... As a point of destruction. Now that moves us into this new portion in in verse 8. Verse 8, yet in the same way as these men, 
What is yet in the same way as these men? He's making reference to verse 7 above. Just as in verse 7, there were these men in, in Sodom and Gomorrah that were trying to go after strange flesh that didn't keep their, their, their proper place. He says in verse 8, yet in the same way these men, these men meaning these men that have moved into the church, these false teachers. So this is a railing judgment against the false teachers that have moved into the positions of leadership in the church. This is uh, believed to be these Gnostic believers who are not really believers, and they, they uh, 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 so, so it says, it says, yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming, so he associates them with dreamers. Who are these dreamers? <clears throat> if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 13, Deuteronomy chapter 13, it shows he associates them, Jude associates them with these dreamers from the book of Deuteronomy. Book of Deuteronomy, chapter 13, verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let's go after other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him. You shall keep His commandments, listen to His voice, serve Him and cling to Him. But that prophet or the dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. So in ancient Israel, this is what they were to do with any so-called prophet or dreamer of dreams, even if their, their prophecy comes true, if they're teaching against the ways of the Lord that they had been taught, he said you were to put them to death. So what we see, even though Jude is making the association with these people from the Old Testament, these dreamer of dreams, he is not suggesting in the New Testament that they be put to death. Even though they, they are false prophets, even though they are false teachers, he's not suggesting that they be put to death. So even by the time of the first century, things had changed. In, in the beginning of the church, things had changed. They were not enacting the laws of Moses upon these false teachers. They were not putting them to death. So this is, even from the first century church, this is exactly how it was. They were not going by the laws of Moses and putting people to death, but he warned them and he associated them. He associated them with these dreamer of dreams. And that's why he says in verse 8, Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh. Just in verse 7 above, the men had def were defiling the flesh in the way that they were living in this immoral way. It says they, in verse 7, they indulge in gross immorality. God judges sin. And I'm telling you, our society is, is, is justifying immorality <clears throat> and saying it's not bad. The Bible has very different ways of expressing it. You will destroy your lives. You will destroy your marriage. And you think it's okay for you to sleep around because you're not married. It's okay when you're married. You'll be committed. 
Number one, when you're married, you won't be committed. If you're sleeping around now, you'll probably end up sleeping around then as well. Because people don't immediately change. And to think that this one person, this one partner in marriage is now going to satisfy you when you had all sorts of people prior to marriage, you're wrong. The satisfaction will not be there and it's going to bring in great trouble. God knows what he's talking about. The word of God and its instruction to us, God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what's happening here. And so he's saying, he's saying that, that uh, uh, these men in the same way defile the flesh. So remember what these Gnostics were doing. They said that the flesh, all flesh was evil, and all flesh had nothing to do with God, and so you could indulge in all you wanted to in the flesh. This is what they were teaching, because God's forgiveness was always there. So their instruction was go ahead, just yield to the flesh. The flesh is of no value anyway, and God's forgiveness is there. And Jude is coming and he's saying, no, it's going to have a huge effect on your lives. It's going to disrupt your marriage. It's going to disrupt your life. And he's warning them about this because these men are coming in and teaching and they're yielding totally to the flesh. And you see this same pattern in our society today. With this whole tender generation, it is utterly destroying lives. Destroying lives. I see young men who are into this day after day after day. And I'm telling you, you begin to speak to them and you wonder, are you even there? Is is there anything there anymore? There must be a repentance from this type of thing. This is what they were teaching. It says, for in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh... And they reject authority, and they revile angelic majesties. So they would yield totally to the flesh, saying God was going to forgive anyway. And then they were rejecting authority. When an authority would come, they rejected it. The authority of God's word, they rejected it. Same thing happens today. When there's a rejection of God's word, there's a rampant progression into sin when there's a rejection of authority. Jesus spoke very, very highly of authority. He equated authority, respect for authority, and acknowledgement of authority. Jesus did. He equated it with faith. He equated it with faith, meaning I trust you. I trust you. So if you look in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. Reading from verse 5 in Matthew chapter 8. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. For just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And his servant was healed that very moment. So this centurion comes and he, he says, he says, my slave is, is suffering from sickness. Will you heal him? Jesus said, okay, I'm on my way. Now, why was Jesus so receptive to this Gentile? We learn in the other Gospels when it talks about this, in the other Gospel passage, that this centurion was very good to the Jewish people. He had built them their synagogue. And as soon as Jesus heard that he had built them their synagogue, he immediately said, I'm coming to your house. Because the promise to Abraham was, those who bless you, I will bless. This centurion blessed the Jewish people, and Jesus immediately was going to go to bless his home by healing his servant. So Jesus says, okay, I'll come to your home and I'll heal him. And the centurion says, don't trouble yourself. Just speak the word and it'll be done. Because I recognize you're a man with authority. I'm a man in authority, he said. I have soldiers under me. I say, do it, and they do it. I have slaves under me. I say, do it, and they do it. I say, go. I say, come, and they do it. You just speak the word, and it's done. And it says, Jesus marveled. Do you know of another case in the Bible ever where Jesus marveled at anything? Actually, Jesus was most often frustrated at the lack of faith of his disciples. Jesus didn't marvel. Nothing surprised him. He sees this behavior in this centurion, and he marvels at it. He says, I have never seen such faith in all of Israel. Now, Jesus didn't just start walking in Israel. He's not just in his 30s right now. Jesus has been in Israel for a long time. He is the one that appeared to to Moses in the Old Testament, to Abraham in the Old Testament. He is the one who did this. Jesus said, in all of Israel, I've never seen such great faith as this Gentile centurion. Because he recognized authority. He understood authority. When we begin to understand authority, so much protection is there. Men have come to me, they say, you know, my wife doesn't listen to me, my kids don't listen to me, and I'm like, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Because you have no authority in your life. You're not, in, you're not functioning in the church. You're not under the pastorate in the church. You're not under the leadership in the church. You have no authority in your life. You don't listen to anyone. It doesn't surprise me that no one in your home listens to you. When we are under the umbrella of God's authority, that keeps everyone else with us under that same umbrella. When we step out from that umbrella of God's authority in our lives, we expose everyone below us Everyone below us is is likewise exposed. And everything starts falling apart. When we don't respect authority at work. So I above me is a is is a is a is a the chair of my department. I hired the chair of my department when he was an assistant professor. I was his mentor in helping him go up through the ranks. And now he's chair of the department, so he's officially over me. I put my vote in for him to become chair. I trust him. But now he is over me formally in the structure in the university. And over him is a dean. I remember when the dean was first hired. I remember when he was a brand new assistant professor and I was sharing Jesus with him. Now he is the dean. And over him is a provost. And, 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 and over her is the president. And so there's this whole chain of authority in the university. 
I am under all of that. And as I stay under that, my students understand that I'm the authority in my laboratory. There is a chain of authority. These men rejected authority. And the result of rejecting authority is opening themselves up to this indulgence of the flesh, this lack of understanding. They had come out from under this chain of authority. And because of that, they could not receive from the Word of God the understanding that that, uh, uh, you have to curb these desires of the flesh. These desires of the flesh are going to destroy you. And you wandered off into this area thinking that the flesh is of no trouble. Do whatever you want. God will forgive you anyway. He says, you're in, in for real trouble. I mean, this is a railing judgment against them. And he says, you rejected it. they reject authority and they revile angelic majesties. We're not exactly sure what he means, but they, they, they were reviling angelic majesties. Maybe it's that they didn't believe in angels. There was a sect of the Pharisees that didn't believe in angels. Maybe they didn't even believe in angels. And many people, even today, don't want to believe in anything they cannot see. Remember what we talked about last time. There are many things we cannot see, but we know are there. In the sciences, you have gamma rays, you you have x-rays, ultraviolet rays. You can't see any of those, but we know they exist. You stand in front of a gamma ray beams, it'll tear your body up in minutes. And, and, uh, And then we only see in this little region of the visible spectrum... And then you get the infrared. We don't see in the infrared. Some snakes can see in the infrared. We can't. And then beyond that, you you have uh, microwaves, and beyond that, radio waves. All of us are being hit by radio waves. You set up a radio, the same waves that are hitting that radio are hitting us. We don't feel them. We don't see them. We don't sense them. We don't feel them. It's and and this is this is what science is. I mean, we're able. We have tools now to detect all of this. A few hundred years ago, we had no tools to detect it. Does that mean that the gamma rays didn't exist? Did that mean that UV rays didn't exist? No, they existed. They existed. It's just that we had no way to measure them. Many things we cannot see. Remember, dark matter, 70 to 90% of the matter in our universe is dark matter. We can't see it. We can't detect it. One day we'll be able to detect it. But many things we cannot see. I've had scientists say to me, I remember when we made these, these switching devices, and, and these were people who worked in the, in the area of electronics, and we made these molecular switches. And he said, how many of those did you make? I said, probably something like uh, uh, 10 to the 23rd of them. What are you talking about? I said, yeah, that's how we make it, because we made them. Each molecule was, could act as a switch. He says, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And here's this, this uh, electrical engineer saying, I don't believe it. Well, because he had never experienced chemical synthesis. We make molecules all the time. We can't see them. I've never seen with my bare eyes a single molecule. Never never have with my naked eyes have I seen a molecule. But we work with them all the time. We detect them. We have instruments that give us the structure. And now we have instruments that can even see single molecules. That can, by see, I say image them. They're imaging the... the, the uh, uh, the density of states of, of, of the electron cloud, but then that's translated into an image that's put on a screen. And so you can actually see the actual molecules now, which when I was in school, you couldn't do that. But we have instruments that detect them that give us the molecular structures. We piece these things together. Lots of things we do not see. They were denying angelic majesties because they could not see them. They were denying them. 
Many people deny God because they can't see God. They will deny God because they cannot see God. But many things we cannot see, but they are there. They'll say, angels, you, you believe in angels? Well, you will have to tear out a lot of pages from your Bible if you want to say angels do not exist. Demons do not exist. Just because you do not see them does not mean that they do not exist. Children, this has been, this has been found that children are born believing in God. They believe in God. They're very receptive to God. They are taught not to believe in God. You have to teach a child not to believe in God for them not to believe in God. They are born believing in God. They are quite receptive to these things. And these men were denying angelic majesties, reviling them and denying angelic majesties. And what, what happens when we do this, we begin to deny even the existence of God. We deny the existence of God and then we open ourselves up to all sorts of fleshly indulgences. And so th that's why he says, he says uh, um, in, in uh, the next verse, it says in verse 9, But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. So Jude is quoting from an apocryphal book called The, the Assumption of Moses. He is not saying the entire apocryphal book is valid. He is saying this one portion of that apocryphal book is valid. This is something that happened. Now, the, the people in this generation read these apocryphal books. This was stunning to them. This meant a lot to them. They held on to these books. In our generation, we don't even read these. Most people don't read this, but this is from the Assumption of Moses. Again, he's not validating the entire apocryphal book. Just this particular portion within the Assumption of Moses. We have a portion about how, how, uh, uh, how Moses died and, and the occurrence of that. So if you look in, in, in our Bible, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 1. Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, and, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead, as far as, far as Dan and Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, and the Negev, and the plain in the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no man knows his burial place to this day. So Moses never was allowed into the promised land, but God gave him a very, very clear day. He could stand in the land of Moab on the eastern side of the Jordan, on top of a mountain. He could see all the way to the, the, the Mediterranean. He could see all the way to the southern part, the land of Judah, all the way to the northern part of Dan, all the way to Gilead, all the way... Jericho, the whole thing, God showed him. And then Moses died, and what our Bible tells us is that God buried him. Well, how did God bury him? Well, we, we learn from this passage, he actually sent the, the Michael, the archangel, to do the actual burial of Moses. And apparently, 
Satan tried to get the body of Moses. And within the assumption of Moses, there's two reasons that, that Satan gave. One reason is that Moses was flesh. Flesh was corrupt. Corrupt matter belonged to Satan, he argued. The second reason is he said Moses was a murderer. And because of that, because Moses was a murderer, um, uh, he, he said that he has rights to the body of, of, uh, of, of Moses. And if you look in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, it shows when Moses murdered a man. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and he looked on their hard labors and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that. And when he saw there was no one around, he struck the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So he killed an Egyptian and on that basis, Satan was arguing for the body of Moses, but God would not give it up. Michael the archangel did not pronounce a railing judgment against Satan because Satan was a cherub, a higher being than Michael who was an archangel. And so Michael would not pronounce against him a railing judgment. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. He's saying Michael understood authority. Michael understood authority. He was not going to pronounce a railing judgment against Satan even though he was serving God. He was answering God's bidding in doing this, in, in, in burying the body of Moses. And so he, he pulls from this book the assumption of Moses. And then he says in verse 10, But these men revile the things <clears throat> which they do not understand, and things which they know by instinct like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. So he says, these men revile things, or they speak evil of things that they don't understand. They're speaking evil of angels. They're speaking evil of things that they cannot see with their own eyes. It says that, that, that but they don't understand it. They don't understand these things, but what they are controlled by, therefore, is they're like their instincts, like unreasoning animals, things which, by which they are destroyed. They were destroyed by their fleshly indulgences. The destruction of their flesh through the sexual realm, which is what these leaders were propagating in the church, was occurring because they had denied the spiritual aspects. The spiritual things are things that, that we don't see with our, our, our own eyes. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says, But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. The natural man, in our natural senses, we cannot, we cannot understand the spiritual realm. That's what he's saying. Just like with our natural, just, just with our natural five senses, we cannot understand even the physical realm based on our natural senses. We don't see the vast majority of the electromagnetic spectrum. is huge. We only see in a narrow sliver of it. That's the visible spectrum. We only see a little small piece. That's all we, we, we see. We only hear in a very subtle domain of where there is sound. And that's why, you know, there's a dog whistle. You blow this thing and you don't hear anything. And the dogs are like, huh? You know, they're hearing things we don't hear. There's lots of things happening that our senses do not pick up. It's the same in the spiritual. It's the same in the spiritual. So when people are denying God, what happens then is that then they are lowered to their own instincts, only what their senses know, 
and that becomes the controlling aspect in the life. When we divorce ourselves from the spiritual, from the things of God, and we separate from that, then we will be ruled by our flesh. Only what we enjoy, we will live by. And that is our destruction. That is the pattern for destruction, Jude is saying. And this is by instinct destroying them. When we will separate ourselves from the spiritual realm, the spiritual realm, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, it says. For they are foolishness to him. You speak to the natural man and talk about angels and demons. You're like, you, 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 you've got to be joking. You've got to be joking. They will then go even to the point of denying God because they cannot assess it. It says the natural man cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God. They cannot accept it for they are foolishness to him. And that's exactly what it is. It is foolishness to them. He cannot understand. They don't have the ability to understand it because these things are spiritually appraised. When you are an unbeliever, before you have accepted the Lord, it is very hard to take hold of these things. Very hard to take hold of these things. But what happens is God has set in the heart the ability to embrace the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This amazing event, God has written it on the heart of human beings. And this is what I try to communicate to unbelievers when I share with them that the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is already on your heart. It's already there that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. All you need to do is show them a little bit of the evidence, the biblical evidence, the extra-biblical evidence around the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and boom, they grab it. And as soon as they take hold of that, everything opens up. The reality of God, the reality of the spiritual realm. And this is what he's saying. And then when you have that reality... You stop living by, the, by the, the instincts of the flesh which control your life. You take a young man that doesn't, that's devoid of all spiritual things, that has no fear of God, their flesh rules their body. It actually rules them and it drives them. I mean, one woman can give them a call in the middle of the night and boom, they'll get up, they'll wash their face and they're in the car and they're on their way to her house. I mean, just like that, it's like, they're utterly controlled by these things. And it's their downfall. And he says, this is what he's saying. It's their destruction. Uh, at, at the end of verse 10, it says, by these things they are destroyed. By these things they are destroyed. This is the destruction of humankind. By these things they are destroyed. When you divorce yourself from the spiritual realm, when you deny these things exist, you deny the existence of God, you open yourselves up to utter destruction. This is the end, because you'll live like instincts, like utter animals. Whatever drives you will begin to, to drive you in this. You begin to lie, you begin to cheat, whatever will make your life uh, uh, good for you in that moment, it will happen. It is only by the fear of God, and then this word becomes alive. And this is why, when you accept the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the, the, the truth of the resurrection comes into your heart, you begin to read the Bible and boom, just the thing becomes open to you like you've never seen before. Like you have never seen it before. The Word of God becomes open to you. And what happens to the believer sometimes is they, believers will have doubts. Believers start doubting things. And they even start doubting the Word of God. And what happens is you can't hear God anymore. God becomes more and more faint. You try to go to the Word of God and there's no richness. 
I'm urging you, fall on your knees and repent and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for my doubting you. Forgive me for doubting your word. And then all of a sudden, you open the word of God. It starts coming alive again. Because these things are spiritually appraised. The unbeliever has no ability to get these things. This is why the unbeliever studies this book as an academic, academically. And there's no life there. My colleagues in the university, in the religion department, several of them have expressed to me their frustration that students come from me to me for religious counseling and not to them. They're in the religious department. They don't understand. There's, there's nothing there. These things are spiritually appraised. The students aren't looking for a bunch of academic stuff. They're looking for life. But then when, you get in, when, when your heart goes to Jesus, then these things just start taking life. There is life in Jesus and in him only. And this is what he's warning us about. These things are spiritually appraised. I urge you, if you do not know the Lord, let me spend a few minutes with you. It, it won't take long. Let me begin to share with you the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. And, and uh, uh, your heart will open up and things will begin to change. Just send me an email to tour at drjamestour. Dot org and we'll set up a time to Zoom or come and see me after this class. We'll set up a time. We'll get together. I'm telling you, within 30 minutes, your heart will become open. This Word of God will become alive to you. The spiritual realm will become alive to you. And if, if you think that, you know, scientifically, this doesn't make any sense. Scientifically, does it make any sense to you? Tell me about dark matter. Does this make any sense to you? Uh, scientifically, tell me about the electromagnetic suspense. Does it really make sense? You have no way of detecting these things with your own senses. You have to have all these other instruments to do this. And with dark matter, we have no instruments to do it anyway. That's why we call it dark matter. But in 100 years or 200 years, we'll have instruments to detect this stuff. And, uh, and then, then, you, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll be there. So this is what we're up against. Let this word of God fill our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, for the warnings that as we deny angelic majesties, that as we deny the existence of God, it opens ourselves up to the flesh, and that is our destruction. Father, I pray for the unbelievers that are here listening. Father, that their hearts and their minds would be opened because it's going to destroy their marriages, going to destroy their homes, destroy their flesh. Father, that they take hold of Jesus and his life, and his resurrection. And then you'd open them up to these things that are spiritually appraised. Lord, I pray for the believers who are here that they would not become dull in heart, that, that, they, would not become, uh, that they would not start doubting you and even doubting your very existence. Father, for you have dropped the truth of yourself within the heart of all people. Father, I pray that you'd speak to their hearts all the more and that they would see only in walking with you and according to your word, can they take hold of these things? For these things are spiritually appraised. Glory to you, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name forever and ever. Amen.